Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here together to proclaim your holiness, majesty, and glory, we celebrate the pro profound gift of being in your presence. We thank you that you sent your son to live among us, die for us, and ascend to make us into his people by the spirit. Sisters and brothers, we stand in awe of this mystery. Father, we pray that you grant us the strength and humility to be a faithful people in our neighborhoods, our communities, and our city. Lord, we also submit to you the turmoil and upheaval that engulfs so many lives. <coughs> we pray that you might humble the spirits and soften the hearts of the leaders and those who yield power. We pray that you might uphold and sustain those that suffer as they wait for your justice. And finally, Lord, we pray for those close to us, those in our number and our friends and family that suffer from disease in their body, mind, or spirit. We pray for healing and for comfort that we might remember and that we might remember and care for one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Children are dismissed uh, for children's worship. We will now continue to worship um, through a time of confession. We'll first do so corporately through word, and then we'll do through, through song, and finally have a time for silent personal confession. O oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. My soul is full of troubles, and my eyes grow dim through sorrow. I am a person without strength, yet I call upon you, O Lord, my hope. Cause me to remember your steadfast love and faithfulness. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. O Lord, fight against the ones who hate me without cause and to my
take a moment for a silent personal confession. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to bring our sins before you, to see ourselves clearly in the light of both your holiness and your grace, unworthy and yet loved. May we find our rest and our striving in your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Just as we have been welcomed by our Lord, let us welcome one another.
The Old Testament lesson is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Timothy 12 through 17. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.
This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks, Colm, for reading God's word. Well, we, uh, this morning we continue our sermon series, um, Known and Loved. Uh, if you're new to this, uh, there's a little blurb here you can read about um, how we're framing and thinking about this series. Um, but this week we're going to turn to Luke's Gospel, to uh, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And feel free to turn there with me in your Bibles, or you uh, can just listen as I read the text. Well, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And turned toward the woman, he said to Simon, do, do, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, this is God's word is given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you now as best as we are able. Lord, we pray with, we come with open hands and open ears and open hearts. And we just ask that you would meet us where we are in the places that we find ourselves. Show us your grace and change us by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right away, uh, Luke brings us inside the house of a Pharisee. Uh, it's a notable beginning in our text because this is not often the place that Jesus finds himself with the Pharisees. <laughs> I mean, the Pharisees are often the ones pushing and set, setting themselves against the teaching and leading of Jesus. And yet here we find a Pharisee who has invited Jesus over for a meal. I mean, the other Pharisees in the Gospels that we know of who, the other Pharisee in the Gospels that we know of who is curious, who's interested in Jesus, right? Nicodemus, 
Famously, he comes to him in the cover of night. But here we find Simon, the Pharisee, not in the shadows, but bringing Jesus into the hospitality of the dinner table. And I think it speaks to, to Simon's courage, his, his willingness to put his own skin in the game, right? to not shy away maybe from the threat, the uncomfortability that can follow Jesus around. And he offers him a warm and intimate invitation to come and eat with him. And of course, Jesus accepts, and Luke tells us that, that Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And just when we think, just when we think that the guest list has been filled, that we're about to, to get an intimate seat besides Jesus and Simon, this curious and hospitable Pharisee, right? Just when we think, in comes a woman. And Luke, you know, he goes out of his way to tell us she's not just a woman. She's a wo she is someone who comes with a reputation. She comes with a state of being that, to, to put it mildly, was full of scandal and shame. Luke says she's a woman of the city. And what he's really saying is that she is a woman who was a professional prostitute. She's a sex worker working the streets. And of course, the reputation she cannot shake that has become a part of who she was in that world is that, that we are told that she is a sinner. And I think, you know, I think Luke really wants us to understand this, that this is not someone who, is not, who, is, who has just made one sinful choice. She's not a person who occasionally succumbs to temptation. No, we are meant to hear that she is someone who is seen as vile, in a state of uncleanliness, rejected, scorned by the world that she inhabits. I imagine that she doesn't need to be told these things, right? She doesn't need a theology lesson to get it. I imagine the, the contempt she elicits in the faces of people like Simon is more than enough. It's more than enough to confirm what she already feels inside. She feels dirty and stained, unwanted, unloved in this world. And so when Luke introduces us to her weeping, standing behind Jesus, Maybe, just maybe, we get a sense of the desperation in those tears. There's something inside that, that pushes back the contempt, the, the self-hate. She, she finds the courage, that, that desperate hope that she is more than street trash. She's something worth saving and loving to God. And so when the news that Jesus was reclining at the Pharisee's table found her ears, she went with faith and belief that this Jesus that she has heard about could turn her life around. And if the unexpected guest list at this dinner party was not already surprising enough, it takes on yet another twist. <laughs> you see, this woman, she does something astounding. And the first thing she does is she lets down her hair in, in order to, to wipe his feet. Now, in this culture, in the ancient world, the, the act of a woman letting down her hair in public was an act of such intimacy and scandal. 
It would have been known that, that letting your hair down in public, according to many of the religious leaders of that time, it, it was even grounds for divorce, right? And so, so what she is doing is not something simply outrageous and scandalous, but it was something she never did for free. But that's not all she does. The other thing she does is she takes out the alabaster ointment. This alabaster ointment typically came in a flask with a tiny little opening at the top where, where she could put perfume. And it was just a tiny opening at the top so that the aroma could, could get out, but also so that the perfume wouldn't spill out. And it was tied around a woman's neck. And for those, uh, for those women who had uh, the money to, to purchase it, to have it, it would have been considered an object of great allure and beauty for a woman to wear perfume like this. Because everyday women in the ancient world didn't go around with a fresh and arousing aroma. I mean, to say the least, the normal everyday smells of a person were incredible. <laughs> and for a woman to put this around her neck at great expense, and for her to walk about with a cloud of something utterly enchanting and all the other aromas, something fragrant and wonderful. It, it represented something of incredible beauty and attraction. But wait a minute. Yeah, a woman wore, the woman who wore this, she's a prostitute, right? This, this would have been, this, this, this would have been the essence, the tool of her trade. This would have uh, been something absolutely necessary, something absolutely critical at the very essence of what she is doing. And so when it says that she anointed Jesus' feet with, with ointment, the only way to anoint his feet was to break the flask so that it would come out. She must have put all of her money into that flask because it was an important resource for her in her line of work to continue to make more money. And yet, at this point, she breaks it and she anoints him. She pours it out on his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And friends, before we move past this part of the story, you know, it's good to stop and to, to recognize what she's doing. I mean, this was her leverage in the world. It was the tool that helped attract and arouse men to her. It was her source of income and power in this world. It elevated her attractiveness, her desirability. So it was vital to her very survival and life in, the, in that world. And here she is, pouring it out on Jesus' feet. We absolutely can't miss this part the story that, that, that Luke wants us to see that this is the very thing that she has that she trusted in this this is the foundation of her life she wasn't anywhere near the Simons in this world she wasn't she wasn't a law keeper she didn't have a reputation of virtue and godly living people didn't look at her with admiration wanting to be like her she's at the bottom knowing that any bit of intimacy in her life was never about delight and love for her, but simply to prop up the appetites of men. 
And so this flask, it was the means that she could wield some sense of control and desire in her world. It was the thing that promoted this twisted parody of acceptance, that she was attractive, that, that men desired her, fighting back all the faces of contempt, gazing upon her, that told her, that told her the real story of what people thought of her and what she thought of herself. So the offering she gives to Jesus, it's a powerful act of repentance and faith. I mean, she is saying, no longer do I trust in my attractiveness. No longer do I trust in my desirability. No longer are these things that I look to. No longer, no longer does this have mastery over my life, controlling my choices, owning my survival in this world. And even though she is weeping, she isn't despairing. <laughs> she is powerfully alive with faith. And she has brought Jesus the thing that represents to her hoping and trusting and believing that, that Jesus is the one who can liberate. And I have to say, friends, that, that I think her tears that day are not tears of shame or of fear, but of joy. I mean, she came to that dinner table already believing she had already decided that Jesus was worth everything. She had already believed that Jesus could turn her life around. And Jesus, Jesus even states it later on. He says to her, your faith, your faith has saved you. She came committed to Jesus. And as an act of devotion and love, she offers to him with sweet intimacy her everything. She pours out the fragrant ointment wiping his feet with her hair. Well, the, uh, the disarming reality of this woman's presence and her astonishing act of intimacy and devotion it, to Jesus, it sets up a contrast in the room. That Simon is there, <laughs> beholding this woman in his home. Scholars will point out, remind us that Simon, you know, he's bold in his own way. He invites Jesus into his home, holding hospitality for him. And his hospitality, in essence, is saying to Jesus that he wants to be a supporter of his, right? That, that, that he has heard many good things about him. And he wants to hear uh, about Jesus' teaching, be on his team. So there must have been some sincerity in his invitation. And, and Luke clues us into what Simon likely thought of Jesus. He says in verse 39, if this man were a prophet, right? And Simon saw his teaching, he saw his miracles, and he thought, you know, this guy has a good chance of being a prophet of God. So he invites him in, and he, he's very warm, he's respectful, giving Jesus quite a bit. It's a very sort of rational, very reasonable, very ethical belief in Jesus. He wants to be on the right side of holiness, and Jesus seems like a very good man. And Jesus turns to Simon in verse 44, and he says to him, while, while he's turning towards the woman, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. 
He's saying to Simon, why haven't you been kissing and hugging and letting your hair down and weeping all over me ever since I got here? I mean, Simon signed up for a theology department dinner, and he ended up at a Taylor Swift concert. I mean, Simon must be thinking, what in the world? This, <laughs> this has to be a prank. I mean, I'm being punked right now, right? Right, Jesus? Right. I mean, come on, you really want me to act like that towards you? And Jesus is saying to him, <laughs> yes. I mean, we, we all like our prophets, right? That is until that prophet has words coming for us. Jesus is saying to Simon, Simon, this is the kind of faith that transforms. This is the kind of faith that saves. It's a it's a powerful moment because we realize that, that where they found themselves, when, when we find ourselves at the, at the Taylor Swift concert, it is, it is actually a theology dinner. And it leaves the people in that room, at that table, beholding this moment. It leaves us all here today with a prophetic and poignant question. Is your faith a Simon faith? Or is it the faith of this woman? And if it's a Simon faith, we can hold the positions. You know, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I, I think I'm a pretty good person. I, I read the scriptures. I'm faithful to go to church. But there's no letting the hair down. There's no pulling the flask from around your neck. In fact, we may not even have even thought about what those things might be in our life. There's no wholehearted tears, no passion that is deep-rooted, permeating the dark areas of our soul, and especially those that are dressed up and smell nice on the outside. But Jesus isn't done with Simon's faith. He invites him into a theology lesson. Right? He tells him a parable. But Simon tries to tell Jesus what's up. Right? He points out that if Jesus was indeed a prophet, he would know, I mean, he would understand that this woman is a lawbreaker, and she's unclean, she is a sinner. And Jesus, he claps back at him. He says, I have something to say to you, <laughs> Simon. And just, just a note, if Jesus is saying that to somebody in the scriptures, that is, you're about, you're about to get a lesson. So, um, so Jesus has to be thinking, right? He's has to be thinking, I'm, <laughs> if I'm not a prophet, huh? let, well, let me tell you something. Let me, let me tell you what's up. So Jesus tells him about a man who was a benefactor to two people, and he lent a little bit to one person, and he lent the other person a whole lot more money. And it turned out that both could not pay the money back. And so Jesus asked, who would be the most grateful who would love the benefactor the most? And Simon says, I suppose the one for whom was canceled the larger debt. Now, what Jesus is getting at with Simon is that the first of all, that first of all, when your debt is canceled, it doesn't just go into the air, right? The benefactor, he bears the cost. And the person who most knows what the benefactor has done is filled with gratitude and, and transformed. And Jesus is saying, Simon, you think I'm just a prophet who has come to tell you how to live right. But she sees something far greater. 
that I have come to bear the cost of all her debts for not living right. You have invited me in, but she has poured her life out. This woman sees it, and it's, it's sunk deep within her soul and in, in her person. I mean, she gets what Isaiah says, that, that he was pierced for our transgression, that the, that the Lord upon, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, for he poured out his life unto death. I mean, I think Jesus sees Simon well, that there is a part of Simon that is afraid of missing out. And he's compelled to come to Jesus, maybe even because it's the right thing to do. But this woman has come to Jesus through, through attraction. And it's this part of faith that is captivated, that is enthralled, that, that sees the utter beauty of Jesus pouring his life out that has escaped Simon. He doesn't see that his life is bad enough, in, in need enough, desperate enough. And so Simon can't let his hair down, taking off the flask, pouring it out to Jesus. You see, Simon comes with compulsion, but this woman, she comes through attraction. And when we miss this, when we come with Simon faith, when we come out of a sense of compulsion, when, when our hearts have not been enthralled with the mercy of God, then it gets real easy to, to sneer at, to hold disdain and contempt for the way that others live their life. We can become people who hold our noses up, fattened in the misery and the fragility of, of self-righteousness. We become slaves to respectability in the ways that things sh should be done. And yet when we come with the faith of this woman of the city, the sinner, there's a freedom. Freedom to let your hair down, undaunted by what important people think, undeterred by the cursing of others, unshaken by the guilt and the shame and the hate that hold us hostage. We are free. We have new life in the grace of Jesus who has paid our debts. Friends, when we take in the reality that we are Jesus' beloved, that he's laid down his life, pouring himself out for you, when we take this in by faith, we find the passion and the beauty and the love. We begin to love our neighbor in the way that we've been loved. You see, when we are forgiven little, we love little. If you feel forgiven a little, you will, you will love a little. <laughs> If you love much, you will love much. It's a passionate love that goes after that one lost sheep that stands in the way of the angry crowd ready to throw stones. That is free to serve even an enemy. And having faith like this woman, it frees us to love. It's a faith that also gives assurance, right? She lets her hair down. Why? I mean, she doesn't care what other people think about, even important people with significant influence. She's not thinking about them. It doesn't scare her, right? The, the curses and sneers that come her way, that come our way. Instead, we are met at the door of that darkness with words of delight, of blessing, of belonging by Jesus. 
when she let her beauty down and gave it to Jesus, it didn't control her anymore. It didn't have to be corrupted and tarnished by the wickedness that came for it. Friends, if our, if our careers, our, our ambitions are more important to us than, than Jesus is, if something goes wrong with it, it will scare you to death. If your health is the most important piece of you and illness comes, even when you seem healthy, it will shake you deep. If you're gripped with pleasing others, having trouble saying no, setting limits, and the harm actually comes to you, even from someone that you love, will your heart freeze? Be paralyzed with having to disrupt the relational connections that are so important to you. Well, I found myself this week apologizing to a classmate. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am currently back in school pursuing a, a counseling degree. And so I, I found myself apologizing for, for showing off um, some pictures of my kids. <laughs> and one classmate caught me doing it, and it became uh, something of a tender moment for me. My face uh, showed her what I felt. That I want people to know that I delight in them. I want them to see their playfulness. I want them to be captured by the innocence of their joy. I want people to know that I have a deep, passionate love for them. And somewhere underneath it all, <laughs> there's a bit of me that knows, that, that, that knows the pain of a young heart that would give anything for that delight, that kind of pride. And I suspect there are some of us here today who need to hear who need to see on Jesus' face the words offered up about this woman. Notice he praises her. He delights in her. He says to Simon, Simon, look at her love. Look at her vulnerability. Look at her humility. He goes on and on about, how, about her with such tender affection. And friends, this woman of the city is cherished by Jesus. There's not a darkness he would not cross. There is not a shame he would not scorn to rescue her from, from sin and death. He would not have her beauty and attractiveness be defined and be defiled by the choices she has made, nor by the cursing of others. No, she has found the only pair of eyes in the universe that really, truly matter. And they are full of delight. They are full of blessing. Church, we can rest in the eyes of our Father, even when circumstances of our lives would have us to look away. We can find the eyes of the Father that look for us, that behold us, that find us with such piercing affection. And we can do this <laughs> because Jesus calls us his beloved. He has paid our debts. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for showing us the, the faith of this woman. Help us to take it in, to receive your delight of her kind of faith, and find the healing and the power of Jesus. We ask and pray in his name. Amen. Will you please stand with us and we'll sing together. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Almighty God, give us eyes to see your power and your kindness in our lives and in the world around us. Give us peace and help us to be thankful for your love as we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna, bless I who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You may be seated. Well, in our passage today, uh, we were invited into uh, to Simon's house, uh, and at this table right now, we're invited into a different kind of meal. And I think, you know, as we've heard already today, it, it is a meal that there is a place for the woman of the city. There's a place for the sinner, for those who are broken down and beat up. Uh, I also say there is also a place here for Simon as well. For those of us who are wrestling with who Jesus is and even thinking of him, uh, is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he a rabbi? And I think this meal, it points to something. It points to something greater, something more intimate, something better for our souls and our life. Is that Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just a prophet. But he's a savior. He has come, and we see this in this table, at this table, his broken body, his shed blood, given for you and for me to save us, to rescue us from sin and death. And so <laughs> the invitation is, is simple, and yet it, it's, it's simple. If we believe in that, if we have in repentance and faith put our trust in Jesus, if we have poured out we have poured out and come to him. And then the table is open for us to come and to eat. And it's also a table for us that, that we've come before, but we come again. We come again to be nourished in that grace, to experience the delight and the ways that, that God says to you and to me that you are my beloved. Come and eat and find rest. Father, thank you for this table. We pray that you would set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one. That you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith through this bread and wine. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. Saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this, this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. If you're coming forward for the elements this morning, I invite you to come down the, the middle row here, the center row, to receive both the bread and the, and the wine. So if you, I would ask that uh, you would go back on the sides to return your seats that we could, and hold the elements that we can eat and drink as one family. 
If you're not coming for the, the communion elements this morning, but you want to come forward, I'll be happy to offer a, a prayer blessing. Just put your arm across your chest. Those who are serving may come forward at this time.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole at a seat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, having come to the table, let's stand together uh, for a time of prayer and response of, of an affirmation of our faith. Let's stand together. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, for nourishing us in Christ. By your spirit, assure us that we belong to your family and are heirs of your everlasting kingdom. Help us to offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice as we proclaim the mystery of faith. join together for the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we continue our, our worship through the giving of our gifts and offering to God. If you'll notice, there is a pad under the, under the seat closest to the center aisle. If you uh, could fill that out, pass it down your row, uh, we'd love to have a record of your visit. If you're new with us today, we just want to welcome you. I'm glad you joined us for worship. Um, please make a note that you're new and uh, would love to reach out and connect with you uh, later in the week. Um, just a, just a one quick reminder, there is a fellowship afterwards. Uh, I think there is a table outside today. I believe there is, yes. Well, so there'll, you can either be out there in the cold. <laughs> we can stay in here as well. Uh, whatever you want to do, uh, there's playground for kids, all that stuff. So please stay around for uh, after the service or time of fellowship. Let's continue to worship God.
you please stand and join us for the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings God the Father, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace. Amen.